everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Audience Please podcast with me, your host, Adam. hope everyone's been enjoying socialising with their mates, finally, coming out of this lockdown. Uh, I know it's been good to see people face-to-face, finally. Um, yeah, apologies, it's been a few weeks since the last podcast. Unfortunately, due to daily life and work getting in the way, I have had this interview in the bank for a few weeks, but only just managing to put it together and get it out now. But it was great to chat to Kitty and John of St Agnes. Um, we caught up around the release of their new mini-album, Vampire, um, their heavy visual element, which I love uh, about their band. We talked a bit around that and the imagery that they use. Of course, we talked about some insane gig stories and as ever, um, they came prepared and there were some really fun ones and really enjoyed the stories that they brought with them. Um, If you enjoyed the podcast, do give us a like, follow and a share on all the platforms and I will catch up with you very soon with the next episode, which I've just recorded today. It'll be the first guest to have appeared twice on the podcast, so there's a little clue to who it might be of the... uh, array of people that have already been on here but it was a really good chat and i'm looking forward to that going out hopefully next week not so much of a delay but anyway enjoy this episode and i will catch you next time bye Kit and John, how how are you both doing during this uh, particularly torrid time? I know we were just talking about it before we started, but how have you how have you guys been holding up? And is there any music that you've been enjoying that's been keeping you going the last few months? To be honest, like we haven't stopped working since the <laughs> lockdown happened, have yeah, we? Yeah, it's been relentless. Like we were going to be doing a show on the day or like a couple of days after lockdown started there was going to be a sold out London gig. And so that was cancelled and we just kind of like grabbed the situation, embraced it and just started making music and yeah, it's just been relentless. So it's just been as busy as ever, but in a really different way Um, because we just released our record on Friday. Building up to that moment has been intense and now we're having a kind of like little post-release glow. Nice, nice. Yeah, um... I was going to ask about that um, uh, and a lot of the guests I've had on recently have managed to keep creative um, during lockdown and obviously unprecedented times is a, a phrase mm-hmm. that always comes up but how did you how did you two and and the other two members of the band how did you keep creative during this time and manage to create this mini album uh, Vampire how did that all sort of come about what was your thought process and the actual process of putting it together? Mm-hmm. Um, so when when lockdown first happened, we'd just been doing a whole load of touring, yeah. um, and we're very much in like a mindset of uh, we're playing like the best we've ever played live. We've got all these shows lined up. We were really like sorry primed for <laughs> the year of gigging, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously lockdown happened. All of our gigs were cancelled overnight, and so we thought, okay, so we can't gig. So what else can we do? So we're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, we can record some music. Yeah. Um, but we weren't really in a mindset of making our own music at that point. I think because 
We were so in live mode yeah. that it felt like a real transition to go from live mode to, to writing. writing mode. Um, so what yeah. we decided to do was um, do some cover songs, uh, record some cover songs and then make videos for them um, and put them out online. Yeah, and we kind of, to sort of, um, I don't know, in a, in a kind of false way to create a gig style urgency we gave ourselves an unnecessarily tight deadline to do the covers <laughs> in. Um, just because we were, we were aware, you know, you're, we, were, we had as much time as everyone had and we realised that we could just end up trying to record a cover and taking two weeks over it and we really didn't want to do that because mm. it would just wouldn't be fun. It would become like agonising. Like a chore, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we're like, let's just give ourselves a day to choose, rearrange record and make a video make a little iphone video yeah you know, for each cover so just really kind of ramped the pressure up on ourselves and um and that gave us enough of a sort of boost that when we finished recording those we were really kind of brimming over with ideas for our own music and and doing the covers because the heavy lifting is done already the song is written you can really focus on like the the sound or the attitude and the approach and that helped kind of inform what we were going to do with our own stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you can you can definitely hear that in your in your covers. And I totally I, I totally agree that I'm I'm like that with podcasting and writing as well. Sometimes you've got to um, set a, set some real clear parameters um, for yourself and put a bit of pressure on yourself. Definitely, Absolutely. because mm. like you say, you'll you'll end up pouring over the details and probably going too far. Um, yeah it just becomes like it just becomes a chore and i don't think you get anything better all you're doing at that point is just changing it you're not really improving it and i think we took that attitude into the making of the whole album vampire we just wanted to like um give like a snapshot in time didn't we of this is what saint agnes sound like during a pandemic we wanted to like not worry too much not stress too much put mm-hmm. up, put like a deadline on ourselves yeah absolutely and i like kitty and i tend to be of one mind about how <laughs> most of these things work and we we make all of our decisions we tend to be really in tune with it but it, that being said kitty's still the one who pushes even more for like however fast we're recording or making decisions you want it to be faster and it's really good it puts a lot of um because I'm probably the person that's most prone to like overthinking stuff, and <laughs> yeah. Kitty, if if you that had, is true. It is, and if, if I think if Kitty had her way, we'd write the song, record the song, and be done with the song, and probably never listen to it again, all in the space of about an hour, because that's kind of the way that you work. And I think that I that constantly challenges my natural need to like overthink. Yeah. Um, and then me forcing Kitty sometimes to slow down and look at something for like 15 seconds <laughs> also challenges her approach. So even though we are kind of of one mind and moving it forward, that little kind of creative tension within it is still enough that um, we're never comfortable. We're always challenged. Yeah, yeah. And um, I know I've read interviews with you both before, I know, Kitty, you've said this before, I think with your live shows and your music, you yeah. don't ever want to feel comfortable and you can hear that in the music almost. You can hear that. It's not anxiety. I don't think anxiety is the right word. It's uh, like that pressure bubbling over, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah you're renowned for your live shows which we'll get into in a bit um about uh having that bubbling energy i, I suppose and spilling over yeah. which is wicked i definitely perform best when i'm under like a huge amount of pressure and it's usually because i've like n- not kind of done my homework and I put myself into like a situation (laughs) where I was the same I was the same at uni I did an English degree and I don't think I wrote apart from my dissertation I don't think I wrote a single essay before the night before it was due in (laughs) and I just think it's just I kind of need it I need that pressure and I think I'm best when I'm yeah yeah definitely and it's something that I've kind of recognized and I have to make sure you have to trust me i have to trust you (laughs) but i i i I think both of us work work well under that situation um and it's a matter of whereas kitty's like you're probably more comfortable with going right up to the deadline going right up to the gig without having decided the set list or whatever it's going to be and just totally kind of flying by the moment I'm not as comfortable with that mindset at all. So I'm constantly being like, we should decide this, we should decide this. And you're like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It'll be fine. And it <laughs> always is. And and we always end up producing the best stuff when we when it's a trust instinct. Yeah. 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 When, like, yeah. I think some of our best gigs have actually been when something's gone really badly wrong, like mid-show. And it's something that all four of us do. It's like we're very good at, at realising like, oh, fuck, like, everything's gone wrong. Yeah. We need to pull something out of the bag. Yeah. And we just kind of pull in the same direction. Yeah, We're really suddenly good at that. playing a little bit harder, performing a little bit wilder, and it inspires something that would not have happened if it, had all gone if it was all going to plan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, well, yeah, that, that's definitely true of, um, I think, a lot of uh, my favourite live performances that I've seen of mm-hmm. bands is where where you're on the edge and yeah it's that's when memorable moments are created as well and something Very like true. you say something shit might happen during during the set yeah but then the the audience and you will walk away from that gig and go fuck that was that was <laughs> yeah. we- really that was a really weird but amazing night well any yeah. any seasoned gig goer has kind of seen endless slickly performed sets and to be there when something happens out of the ordinary is always a thrill um i do remember a friend of ours she always says that 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 there's a gig we played at the shackle alarms a really really long time ago where we supported death valley girls so this really cool band from america yeah and um i mean during that gig my microphone broke your harmonica microphone broke your mm. guitar broke. broke yeah oh no it was my guitar wasn't it and it got to that bit in the song where it's just me playing on my own this big build-up we stop and <laughs> i come in and my guitar wasn't working so, so it was just so i i like sang the riff or something i, I don't know <laughs> it was like the whole honestly i feel hot thinking about it the whole thing was a disaster <laughs> but it got worse it got worse it got worse and worse and then it ended, I kind of charged off stage at the end, of what I thought was the end of the gig, thinking, oh my God, that was so bad that I need to hide. But the band, you, you like kept playing? Like, yeah, what? I was like, <laughs> I picked up, like, my guitar stopped working. And so I picked up Kitty's guitar, which somehow magically had started working and started the next song, mm. like started another song, rather than realising, okay, we've Throwing reached a natural conclusion. So then I had to come back on the stage 
Um, yeah, it was awful. But anyway, a friend <laughs> always says that that's her favourite gig she's ever seen us because she could see, she's a musician as well, and she could see like the desperation on our faces and she saw us like decide to turn it around yeah, to be gonna, like, what are we going to do with this yeah, situation? Yeah, chaos. Once I'd started that last song and you came back on stage, we had, we could only own the moment yeah, or be defeated exactly. and we decided to just bulldoze away and we learned I think we learned a lot in that moment about who we are bet that was the first gig Ben kicked over an amp and stood on top of it do you yeah, remember yeah to, just to do <laughs> something like anything Ben Ben came out of his shell that yeah, day there yeah you go. <laughs> was he was he quite uh shy and retiring then before before that moment and then he he, he, he blossomed as a performer yeah. Ben, ben <laughs> is shy and retiring Ben's like a quiet little weirdo um <laughs> And with said with love, but he's he's a strange, quiet man. You never quite know what he's thinking. Yeah. And then when he does act, it's never what you expect. And that was the moment where we're like, we don't know who, who this is, man who is. Who is this guy? <laughs> who is this <laughs> crazy guy? <laughs> yeah, he surprises us every time. Like when we're about to go on tour and he turns up and he's like, this is what I'm wearing for the tour. And he... We, he was wearing a rabbit costume. Yeah, for, bunny costume. A rabbit costume oh, covered yeah. in blood. That's what he wore every night of the tour. It's like, fuck, okay, fair enough. That's, <laughs> you do you. Um, that's, a, that's a good point to move on to something I wanted to talk about. Was um, I know you, you're both very big on the, the visual aspect of St. Mm-hmm. Agnes. And um, obviously your videos are... Um, I know you, you, you really love like Quentin Tarantino and that kind of thing, that sort of fun, fun gore. Um, fun is how gore, I dis- yeah. yeah, describe it. Yeah, how did that, how did that all come uh, a part of St. Agnes and the, the image and how it um, moulds with your music, I suppose? How did that become a, such a big impact for you guys? I think there's two reasons. One is that when we write, it's a very visual process um kitty and i we talk about this band as like an unending conversation that's kind of interspersed with creating music and creating visuals but it's really just our kind of ongoing creative conversation and a lot of that involves talking about a kind of visual world and an imaginary world that's larger than life and helps represent what it is we're trying to get across we like to use metaphor um and we like to use really strong imagery to help put the message. And so there's very little kind of room for doubt about what it is we're trying to say. Um, and so those visuals are already in our mind by the time we even record the song, let alone get around to making the video. We are both just kind of interested and we talked about it recently, like have always been interested in kind of darker things and spooky things and subversive things. Like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with like the Addams Family and always preferred the the villain in in films to like the hero, like Cruella de Vil, people like that. I just, for some reason, I don't know what it is ever since I was little, I've always been attracted to kind of darker, more subversive Mm -hmm. things. Um, so there was always going to be that element in the band because yeah. you're the same, aren't you? Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Just I don't know what it is, and anyone who's into that stuff, I think no one really can quite say it. Just to us, it's really it's obvious appealing. that they're the cooler people, um, yeah. and it appeals more. And so when it comes to the visual of what we're doing, it's again to us, it's just really obvious that that's what should happen. You know, it's not. Um, 
we don't sit down with a blank piece of paper and zero ideas and then force something to happen. It's just really obvious, you know, that when we were writing, say, the song Meanest Little Kid in Town and then we go to make the video, you've got in our minds this this um, caricature that is um, something that comes from Kitty's own psyche, but blown up to be a kind of... Um, child that's sort of so kind of like bruised by the outside world and feels such an outsider that just wants to burn it down and and slaughter everything in it um that's kind of like that was that was the message or or the story behind the song and so the visual kind of takes care of itself the only thing that was um situation specific is that it was filmed during lockdown that one and so rather than having the whole band involved we had to just have kitty um so yeah. you take our kind of creative vision, then you take the limitation of the moment and embrace it. That's how we create. That's the formula. Yeah. Um, and I think um, the, the point you made about it being uh, sort of part of your psyche, um, I yeah. suppose that's where a lot of great music comes from. It's an extension of the, the songwriter's personality and their, and their life. And yeah, um, again, um, now, having spoken to you only for twenty minutes, I can definitely hear that in uh, in in you in you too. Like um, essentially, Saint Agnes is just an extension of your inner psyche and um, your personalities for sure. Um, Absolutely. So, um, just to go back to to the mini album. I really, really wanted to talk about the the covers you did again. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Grinder Man's No Pussy Blues, what a song! I love that song anyway. Yeah. And obviously, Nine Inch Nails um, cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, how did you how did you approach those? Because I I know that um, a lot of bands when they cover songs, they can just do it very straight up and very. Um, yeah, just very straight up. How did you how did you put your stamp uh, on those songs? How did you approach those two? I'd say they were both a bit different. I'd say with No Pussy Blues, it was very much just like we... So, so the original version of that song is a very kind of garage rock in the room band looking at each other recording with Nick Cave being very Nick Cave. And we were having to record it where we weren't in the same room and Kitty is not Nick Cave. So those two things immediately... I'm not. <laughs> got to break, have to what? break it to you. <laughs> and so those two things immediately change it. Um, you know, we sent, we said to our bass player, Ben, um, here's the tempo we're going to record the song at. Send us a bass line. And it's a drum machine. And it's a drum machine. So yeah, you know, we, we programmed some drums really quickly. Ben sent over a bass line. We're like, okay, well, that's kind of loosely based on the original, but it's his own take using whatever weird pedals Ben had built that week because he likes building his own pedals and stuff. Um, And so there wasn't like a hugely thought out process. It was just like, who are we and what do we do with it? I think that's like, that is why I like doing things quickly and and not deliberating too much is because you're you do capture more of of your authentic self if you're quick about it i think yeah you're more likely to end up with something that sounds like someone else if you take time over it because you always gravitate if you have time to something that's familiar and you want the unfamiliar which is yourself and your true essence and i think that's why those covers 
do feel their covers, but they feel really St. Agnes because we did just do it quickly. So yeah. it's just us. You know, yeah. I've seen the Nine Inch Nails one, you know, that's, that's probably one of my favorite rock songs of all time. Um, yeah. And the thing I particularly like about it is the punk attitude. You know, Nine Inch Nails um, was seen as this kind of, sort of sold as this kind of alt rock, gloomy goth band and everything. But to me, I've always seen them more as the the live entity of Nine Inch Nails, which is this guitar smashing, mm. sort of punk rock, sort of um, like the Who meets the Jesus and Mary chain, but like at a thousand miles an hour. That's how I see it and hear it. And so we just wanted to get that across with it. So again, just quickly program a drum machine, make the song a little bit faster, loads of distortion, plug in a microphone and watch Kitty go. That's that's basically how we do everything. Yeah. Not the drum machine part normally, but for the covers <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, it sounds wicked. And yeah, honestly, those covers and the other ones that um, that you, you did um, are fantastic. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and um, it's really nice to hear someone cover Grinder Man as well, because I think Grinder Man are such a, an unsung band. In the, really are, like yeah. really underrated. Yeah, I, I don't understand that for anyone that's a Nick Cave fan, you'd have thought that it would be absolutely essential listening because it's some of the best the work best he's thing. been involved with, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Grinder, Grinder Man 2, I mean, that album, uh, probably in my top 20 of all time, I think. It's really? just an absolute yeah. stunner of an album. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, thank you for, for talking around the, the new mini album and it's really fantastic and I'm, I'm glad it's out there and I'm sure you're absolutely buzzing to have it out there in the world. Um, yes. So we'll get on to the, the, the last bit of the podcast and the, and the fun bit in Flip Side of the Barrier and talk around some of the top gigs you've played and some of the top gigs you've been to as well as fans. And having a look, I was having a look through gigs that you've played in the past and obviously you've played many dive bar and squat shows, but you've played with like horror yeah. and things like that. So I'd be really interested to hear some... Uh, banging stories um so yeah mm. i don't mind who who wants to start but yeah what's some of the top gigs you played i actually really because we've been doing this band for a while and when we started we played anyone at any time anyone asked us to play a show we were like yes we'll play we'll it we'll just do it um and i think because we are like our main thing really is being like a live force we're like it's kind of our, our things because we have played like literally hundreds of shows in like all kinds of conditions and I do really miss those like early uh just kind of very thrown together tours and shows we went to Italy um like maybe three years ago yeah three four years we ago went, like, when off, no one knows who you are no one no one knew who we were obviously in Italy probably still don't yeah. but um <laughs> it was our it was like our first time abroad with the band and the longest stint we'd Done of shows, and we yeah. did some really cool gigs, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, just mad stuff. Like the the um, the one that really sticks out is the fact that you know you, we got this itinerary from an Italian promoter of a bunch of like ten gigs he'd put together for us, and the language barrier was a real issue. Barrier it was a real barrier. <laughs> um, and so we are reading it and there's a lot of stuff and it's like, well, we've got an address and we've got a time to get there. But other than that, we know very know little about what we're going to. And one yeah. of them, we were driving and we we're like, fuck, is this really where we're supposed to be? It was like getting more and more rural, like less and less houses. It was like the nowhere. New Orleans swamps, you know, it was like, <laughs> there was like, the air was thick with mosquitoes, wasn't it? And uh -huh. it was like so hot and 
we arrived at this house in the middle of nowhere. And we're like, well, this is the address. So the sat-nav says it's here. And we got there and these guys come running out and they're like, you're late, <laughs> um, which is like, you know, it was the last thing we'd been used to in Italy because normally like... Quite laid back. <laughs> pretty laid yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. They're like, you're late. And we get there and they've got out the back of their house, they've got this whole group of people, like a hundred or so people. Well, teenagers. Teenagers. And they, <laughs> they have this thing where they, they realise that we're never going to have shows anywhere near us. But if we all club together, we can book a band. And so they were oh, getting wow. all these touring bands yeah. like, coming like, and like playing. Tricking them <laughs> to come tricking in. But them. it was amazing. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, it was literally in their back garden and they'd set up like a, um, it wasn't a stage. It was like gazebo. a gazebo. Yeah, a gazebo. And they all, <laughs> um, so they all like opened the doors of our van and brought all the gear in, all these kids like taking all our gear into the garden, set it all up. And we were like, this is like, this is weird. Chaos, like, this yeah. is mental, but we'll just, fuck it, we'll go for it. And we started playing and they went berserk. Crazy, yeah. Like wow. I've never seen anything like it to the point where they all started shouting something and then out of nowhere, like a stepladder appeared and they would like put it down in front of us and they would take turns in like going up stage the ladder diving. and stage diving <laughs> off of the ladder. <laughs> it was the best thing I've ever seen. It was seen. just crazy. It was, so, it, was, it was an amazing gig. Like it was so low key, but just so incredible. So low key. That kind of spirit is, is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, just, we love, we, that's what we're in this for is like that rock spirit, that pure moment where you forget yeah. about, you know, every other thing other than just, is this an amazing, fun and inspiring moment? It was, it was human spirit yeah, just yeah. unleashed, incredible. I think one of the other gigs that really stands out for me um, was the very last show that we did before lockdown, which was mm -hmm. supporting horror. Oh, and we yeah. are huge fans of horror. They've been a really inspirational band to us. And yeah. I, I grew up, one of the, my favorite bands growing up was White Zombie. And for me, horror are kind of a natural, progression of that thing of just waving the freak flag really high and just being weird and exciting and danceable and mashing together kind of hip-hop and metal and punk and everything and so we were really excited to do that gig <laughs> yeah. and I think we, we probably played better than we've ever played yeah. at that show it was like we really threw our, we only had half an hour and we just threw ourselves at it and it was great and then when they played we were straight in the mosh pit and like nice. it's not often that as a support band you're then kind of inspired to be straight into the audience for the next, for the headline man. Cause you're normally really tired. Yeah. You've got yeah. maybe an interview to do or something like that. And we're like, no, as soon as we got our gear off stage and turned straight back round mm -hmm. and we're in the mosh pit having the time of our lives. Little, we had no idea that was going to be the last gig before the big freeze, you know? Um, and I'm just glad that we have that memory there lodged in our, in our minds to, to hang on to. Yeah, horror, um, I've seen them a few times now and yeah, they're one of the craziest live bands around at the moment. I remember Absolutely. seeing them support Dillinger Escape Plan on uh, oh, their nice. final tour. Never heard, mm -hmm. never heard them, and I was like, "Who the fuck are these guys?" And it was funny because, <laughs> yeah. as mad as the Dillinger Escape Plan are, a lot of the crowd didn't get it. They were yeah. sort of very dumbstruck by it all i suppose yeah. but uh, yeah after but that i've yeah i've seen him a couple of other times and yeah they always bring bring the fire that's for sure yeah well i think that so the dillinger drummer when dillinger escape plan finished he then joined horror so when we supported them he was drumming for them oh wow um and was saying how much he enjoyed how confrontational it is so if he's coming from dillinger escape plan 
who have been used to freaking people out for a long time and he's now feeling the horror of freaking out people over, over again it says how much they're doing and uh, i like whilst i can't compare what we do in terms of craziness to horror i do associate with the fact that they just get up in front of an audience and they are absolutely happy to be a spanner in the works and like oh yeah when we first started there was really like a sort of shoegazy scene happening in london that was it it kind of resulted in gigs that were people were kind of too cool for school and a yeah. lot of kind of just standing around posing and it felt like being a straight up kind of riffing rock band that had guitar solos felt really subversive yeah which is weird <laughs> It's immediately what we wanted to do was like wind everybody up by being obnoxious. Being obnoxious. And, and I'm kind of sad that now everyone is being obnoxious because it means like we're not a spanner in the works. <laughs> we need to up our game. Yeah. What, what can we do now that would annoy people more than anything? Yeah, well, we, we've already, we, we try and troll everything. I think we kind of trolled our own fans with the song Vampire on this release a mm -hmm. little bit yeah. and the fact that we kind of, we know that... Um, we always kind of fly the flag for being authentically live and everything and all that stuff. And then we're like, we're writing vampire and we're like, this is a pop song yeah. and we can either punk it up or we can totally embrace its popness and write a lyric that's really subversive and sneak it into people's brains <laughs> in some kind of sugar coated way. And that felt more subversive than, than doing the obvious thing, which is just to make a really kind of punky version. So that's what we did. Yeah. yeah that is, kind of what we always try to do isn't it is how can we sneak in how can we like so sabotage our own uh, our own band yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah any any other um top gigs that you can think of that you guys have played before we get on to top gigs as fans i think um the the last headline london show we did at dingwalls was nice i mean the best night of my life it's i would the say perfect actually. memory yeah yeah, um, so we released our debut album that year, 2019. In the beginning of it. And we toured the album in the autumn and finished off with a headline show at Dingwalls, which was by far the biggest gig we'd you know, ever attempted to play. And we really were like batting out of our kind of... Definitely like really out of our league. For a band of our <laughs> size, to, to be like, yeah, yeah we're going to headline Dingwalls is quite like ballsy. Yeah. Um, but it sold out in advance, which we just we were just couldn't believe well, it. Like, like, who are these people? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like usually, usually gigs, you like know everyone there, but <laughs> there was like five hundred people. Like, who the hell are these people? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it it it, it felt like that was the night that we kind of stepped up yeah like it really yeah. it felt like um the the number of people being there and buying tickets and coming to see us to see us they had shown this huge amount of belief in what we were what they hoped we were going to be and then i feel like we walked out on stage and we had a kind of split second decision if we, we can either be overwhelmed by this or we can absolutely be the band that everyone is here to see and like we'd been told in explicit terms by the promoter do not <laughs> go off the stage, nothing like that. Within like minutes, Kitty had climbed the PA and, yeah, well. and they were like panicking and like... Yeah, well, Dave Grohl did it, do you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah, yeah, Dave exactly. Grohl had been there. I'm, I'm a lot more rock and roll than Dave Grohl. Like if he did that, do you know what I mean? I'm definitely going to do that, do you know what I'm saying? Exactly, it was that kind of thing where you sort of, you sort of feel that like, oh, because they see us as a smaller band, 
they want to keep us contained. And that was like a red rag to a bomb. We're mm. like, oh, fuck this. We're going to go. Got a bit angry, didn't we? Go crazy. But um, yeah. I, I remember because I'd been like backstage that whole night, kind of saving my voice, felt quite nervous, like getting ready and stuff. So I hadn't been out. I hadn't seen the crowd at all. Um, and I remember like right up until we played thinking like, did we actually sell it out? Like maybe people bought tickets, but maybe they won't actually come. Like, and I remember the, the boys went out before me and did like, started Setting the gig and, and then stuff. I came out afterwards. And I remember just walking out and just seeing the venue, just, I mean, heaving to the yeah. back of the venue. Yeah. And I just, like that moment, I just, that best moment of my life, yeah, it was, like, it, isn't it? Yeah, like and we, from that moment on, like I was felt so great that gig just went in this like joyous blur. I yeah. Just, yeah, it was, it was brilliant. And, and it really think, gave us, yeah, sorry, I was going to say, it really gave us a lot of confidence um, about, okay, these people believe in who we are, that we're not, we're headlining this. We're not associated with someone else. This isn't a festival where there's another headliner that's joined. This is our show. And it gave us so much confidence that then we went on to, support horror or, or we did a tour with monster magnet felt like a different band we felt like yeah. a different band so even when we were supporting we treated it like our own headline show and and loved it and i think every gig since that point has just been this beautiful mm. golden glow really yeah i <laughs> i um yeah it's yeah it's funny you say that about like getting to a, a certain point and it may not have been your aim originally um but uh, I suppose going back to that point of you walking out on stage, Kitty, that must, like you say, it must mm. have been a moment. And the way Dig Walls is set up, because you can literally yeah. see, you like can you say, see you can see, see everyone. right to the bar. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, must yeah. have been, must have been a moment. But um, yeah, going back to your point about um, not not necessarily making it as a band, but uh, like you say, stepping up to that next level. I was listening to a, another podcast the other day with um, I can't remember her name, the the woman that runs Sergeant House and. Um, yeah, she she always says about her the bands that she signs. She she doesn't want them to be that support act anymore. She she yeah. uh, I think with like uh, lingua ignota or however you pronounce it, she was doing um, like support slots and she like, cancelled like a whole support tour and said no, you're going to go out and headline even if it's yeah. like tiny venues because it for you yeah. it will feel better and you'll create. Yeah. Yeah better music in the long run as well because you'll have that confidence behind you so i think that's really great that you've had that experience with with, with yeah. that gig for sure mm -hmm. absolutely like that i think we've always had the mindset of trying to make every show our own without ever disrespecting the headline act as well mm. um it's that self-confidence isn't it of like you know because that's a very tangible tick next to your name of like St Agnes we've sold 500 tickets so you're thinking yeah. there's 500 people at least out there who you know have have spent their like hard-earned money on coming to see us and that it changes your mindset it does absolutely because you know one of the reasons we started a band and I think a lot of people start a band is you're kind of riddled with insecurity of some sort and you want to you want to create a world that is your own that you're in control of and control of and doesn't have the variables that make life scary and difficult um and so even when things are looking really good as a band it's quite easy to undermine them with your own fears and paranoia about it um but having that kind of undeniable response that mm. undeniable moment you know we all looked at each other and in fact we walked off stage and we're very close with our manager you know he he's he's a very important part of our team 
and supports everything we do. And we walked off stage and he had got some champagne <laughs> and we're ready to celebrate the moment. And he immediately blinded all four of us by well, spraying yeah. us in Shook the face. It up, <laughs> straight in the eyes. Like, oh, Dave, oh my God, that's so painful. So we spent the next five minutes of coming off stage from the best kick we've ever done, all trying to wash our eyes out in the sink. <laughs> so yeah, it's that, it's that Formula One podium moment. Pouring into a shoe and drinking it out of a shoe. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It was hilarious. Tiny yeah. dressing room at Dingwalls as well. And it was yeah. just, I mean, the water, I mean, it was covered. <laughs> yes. It was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. That, yeah, that's that's a uh, an amazing gig Great story. Um, so we'll, we'll get up to the, the, the last bit of the podcast. So what are some of the top gigs you've been to on the other side of the barrier? Um, um, for me, I mean, there's a lot, but um, the one that sticks out is we went to see The Prodigy Alexandra Palace in was it 2019 again? It was the end of 2019, I think. Well, no, it must have been the end of 2018, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the November, December before Keith died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and our manager also works for The Prodigy, so he got us into the gig, and I've never seen them before, and I've just heard incredible things about their live show. And I mean, it was absolutely amazing. It was incredible. Like we, I was stood with the rest of the band. Yeah. We were all there together. And as soon as they started and opened with Breathe and it came in and Kitty was just gone. Like <laughs> I jumped off, you know, you know how gone. it is. Like. And I, we didn't see her again yeah, until the end, until of, the the end of the night. And she staggered out the mosh pit and was like, you were like, so oh, was, sweaty, your was, jaw looked all bro- swollen yeah. on one side, and you're like, "That was a fucking great gig." <laughs> <laughs> the the mosh pit was the most brutal mosh pit I've ever been in, which is weird because their fans, you know, like are you know from from the '90s, so they're a little bit older. But the energy that the audience give back to the prodigy is. With- just I mean, it's awe-inspiring. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. You know, you really look at it, and they're masters of their craft. They've got such a back catalogue that the set can be run in such Mm. an order that at any moment they know exactly when the audience needs a little rest before blasting them again and it's so well crafted and the sound was incredible masterclass for us wasn't it it was was a masterclass yeah and and really really just kind of feeling i suppose that kind of magic that you can get on the other side without really knowing too much about how it was done Mm. like i think it's quite easy when you're in a band you go and see stuff if you go and see a band of a similar size you kind of know how everything's done and you're kind of looking at the wizard of oz behind the curtain really clearly (laughs) but with something like the prodigy it's enough of a like step up and big enough and a different genre to what we do the the magic was totally Mm. in place for us we were like absolutely sort of um captured by the whole thing I think the other one that stands out for me is when we saw Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah. oh nice. That was amazing. We saw them at Hyde Park mm. and there was a thing. I think basically what happened was there was like a panic. They hadn't sold enough tickets and they publicized it as we're now doing tickets for a five. Yeah, tickets for a I think they did it through like Vodafone or something as well. And they gave away yeah. loads of free tickets. I think they said that, I think they advertised it as, oh, there's a glitch in the website so you can get tickets <laughs> quick, for five. Quick, quick, get your five pound tickets now. <laughs> but actually I think it was that they hadn't sold enough. But anyway, we, we got our five pound tickets and we got there and we kind of wandered around Hyde Park for the day and it was a really hot day, mm. kind of getting a little bit drunk and, and, and realizing we are really far from the stage. There's like, and there's this, the golden circle, you know, there's yeah. a barrier 
and out of the blue, an old friend of mine texted me and was like, I'm at Black Sabbath and and I'm mates with the guy that runs like the bar, like the, the backstage bar, bar. The backstage bar. Wow. Are you are you here? And and we're like, yeah. And he was like, he, he came and got us and we ended up in this the golden circle with free drinks. Amazing. Yeah, free drinks all night. But the thing was the drinks were um things like, like the peach the, sunrise. That they had left over. <laughs> yeah, it was all kind of weird cocktails that were left over. That's why they were free. So we and we were just drinking like whatever they had left over. So it was this huge mixture, wasn't it? Yeah. So we were hammered. Absolutely hammered. So much so that when Black Sabbath came on, when like cuz the sirens started going for war pigs, for war pigs yeah. at the start of the set, I just burst out crying. <laughs> um, I was moved, of course, by seeing yeah. Black Sabbath, but I do think it's because I was some, hammered some the, as some well. Some drink, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was, I was felt really emotional as well because Black Sabbath are one of the absolute cornerstones of what we make and what we listen to. And to be there in that moment and be in that privileged position so close <laughs> yeah. to the action, yeah. you know, and we did feel, I think a really good gig does make you feel emotional. emotional. Yeah, 100%. Um, because rock music in particular is a contact sport you know it's not (laughs) it's not like pop music where you're watching a final finish like polished thing you're involved in the same as like a really amazing sporting event like the grit and determination can be quite a a moving thing to see Mm. i think a really great rock gig is quite similar and just seeing these icons come out and the siren and just think this has been the soundtrack to so many moments in my life we knew we were in for a treat, and we. And were... they, do you know what? They were on fire that night. It was they incredible. Ozzy sang so well. Yeah. It, it was amazing. The drummer they had was incredible. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what his name was, but I know that he he did some stuff with Ozzy uh, solo as well. But he was incredible. Really cool. So much energy, and yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, Though actually, at the end of that night, we got we live in East London, yeah. and we got the tube back to Stratford. And I just remember getting off the getting off the tube, and I just threw up all over the bloody <laughs> all over the bloody platform. Just like got off, I'd been really quiet, hadn't I? All, all the whole journey, I was like basically trying not to throw up, and I got off the train and just threw up all over Stratford platform. <laughs> And the driver of the, the train actually got out of the carriage with like a toilet roll and came oh. over. It's so humiliating. Um, glory days. Yeah, death or glory, and it ended in in, in, in vomit. Yeah. yeah, but it was a great gig. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I love those nights where yeah you probably do it a bit hard. I did that. I did that at Soul Wax a few years ago. And it was yeah. one of their, like, a bit like Prodigy have done, actually. Um, it was sort of like a till 3 a.m. gig. And I remember mm. I was like, I've probably drunk too much and got managed to get on the bus from central London back to south London. And as soon as I got off the bus, I was like two minutes from home, <laughs> chunder <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. Well, I, I, oh, I went felt, to... Felt I, terrible. I'm a massive Nine Inch Nails fan. And when they announced two gigs at the Astoria when it was still open in a row, I bought tickets immediately for both nights. And I happened to have a really bad flu at the time they were coming around. But I was like, no, I'm just going to go. And um, I went with a friend and I was just, I just totally threw myself into it. Cause I was like, I'm not going to get to see Night Nails in such a small venue. You know, it was yeah. a, an amazing treat. And I just like, it, during the, the like hour and a half of the set, I didn't feel unwell at all. 
but my friend said he came outside and found me just laid in an alleyway, oh. curled up in the fetal position. And he was like, you still up for coming tomorrow night? And I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was incredible. And I, the support band for that one was Dresden Dolls, oh. who I also really like. And they did a cover of War Pigs mm. during their set. Yeah. And I think one of the best drum performances of all time. If you look on YouTube, Dresden Dolls War Pigs Live, the, I, I mean, that it, drumming yeah. is inspiring, it's sensational. Yeah, he's, uh, God, I haven't heard that name for a while, but yeah, um, I can't remember what his name is. Bro I think it's Brian. Brian Viglioni, yeah. I think. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's absolutely insane, because I've, I've always been very drum-driven with what I listen to. I remember listening yeah. to them in, what, 2003, 2004, whenever they were about yeah. originally. And I was just yeah. like, this guy, he just... Yeah, absolutely insane. Again, yeah, I completely forgot I'd seen them years ago, and yeah, yeah. just live, he's just a machine. That man, he's he he is an absolute monster. And I think because of the nature of it being a two piece, and the fact that it's Amanda Palmer playing piano, yeah. which is such a clean instrument, it leaves so much room for the drums that he just had free reign. And I think that it's that kind of like he was kind of obnoxiously metal in a non-metal situation and i loved it like as a metal fan myself i was like this guy is just bringing absolute chaos to a gig that most people are expecting something that's a bit more like a coffee house poetry reading <laughs> yeah yeah definitely and yeah their whole like cabaret look and styling yeah what what yeah. A band really do great band. really do miss miss it well i think they came back recently but i can't remember but i'd love to love to see them again um, yeah. So, uh, any any more top gigs that you can think of at the top of your head to to wrap I mean, the podcast up? We saw we actually saw horror for the first time at the garage, nice. and that similar to the prodigy in that it was like a blur of, of being in a mosh pit, being punched in the head, and feeling inspired. Yeah, I'm feeling inspired. <laughs> Perfect night out. Um, yeah, so that was garage. The horror at the garage was incredible. Yeah, and actually, that's a really nice segue to the fact that we are headlining the garage this year. No, yeah, no, nice, nice <laughs> exactly. plug there. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> on the twenty eighth, um, on the twenty eighth of October, <laughs> we are headlining the garage. Well, I, th I think that is a probably a good place to to wrap up. And I was going to ask mm. that: uh, where can people pick up your record? And I hear you've got a tour to plug. <laughs> yeah, so. So we just put tickets, so we released the record on Friday and we put tickets on sale on Friday and nice. both the record and the tickets, we're pleased to say, seem to be absolutely flying more than we've ever done before. So thank you so much to yeah. anyone who has jumped on board. Like for a band like ourselves that are totally independent, it makes such a difference yeah. if people are like, you on know, it, yeah, if they're on it, they buy stuff straight away. Like it gives the promoters more confidence, like everything about it just makes it means that we can put on a better show because we can chuck some like budget behind it, all that kind of stuff. Like it all works out in the end better for everyone. So thank you so much for supporting us. But yeah, we're playing all of the major UK cities or many of the major UK cities. There's some that we'd like to play that we couldn't do this time round just because loads of bands had had to move their shows to October. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can promise absolute carnage during that tour. Because we like won't by then we won't have played for like a year and a half. A year and a yeah. half, yeah. So we have got a lot of energy to give you, like scary amounts. A lot, nice. a lot, and like 
yeah, we we are we all have an almost entirely new set because we've released one record at the beginning of lockdown, which was the Family Strange EP, and then we've done the Vampire mini album now. So we have a lot of new material that we cannot wait to play in front of an audience. Yeah, I, I bet, I bet, and yeah, I'll be bu- buzzing to to see you guys when you when you play the London show. Um, awesome. I, I, like you say, like we were saying earlier, I can't wait for that energy to bubble over on stage and uh, be an explosion in the room. Um, <laughs> oh, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me on this uh, lovely Sunday. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in a sweaty gig venue soon. Nice Can't work. wait. Thanks Can't for wait. Us. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks, guys.